Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, January 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, Steyer has staying power and will be in the next debates, probably talking about his new immigration reform plan. Elizabeth Warren offers a plan for Americans with disabilities that's surprising in its scope. Pelosi prepares to send articles of impeachment to the Senate. Marianne Williamson drops out of the race. And what happens when a Republican candidate gets dumped by a Trump endorsement of a competitor? It is 298 days until the general election, and here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First off, let's start with two corrections. Yesterday, I pronounced Tom Steyer's name as Tom Steyer. I deeply regret the error, which I attribute to my training in the German language. However, Tom Steyer is going to stay here, sorry, because two new polls released today within the deadline to qualify him for the Democratic National Committee's next candidate debate on Tuesday, January 14th, put him at or above the necessary threshold. This is the fourth time he'll be in a televised debate. Steyer had already met the donor threshold achieved through heavy Facebook advertising for low dollar value donations that would allow him to qualify. He has spent $20 million so far on Facebook. Fox News offered up two polls on Friday that showed Steyer with 12% in Nevada and 15% in South Carolina. Candidates could qualify by achieving 5% or higher results in four national polls or by hitting at least 7% in two state polls in any of four states, including Nevada and South Carolina, as well as Iowa and New Hampshire. Steyer had recently received 2% support in a qualifying Iowa poll and 3 and 4% in qualifying New Hampshire polls. The Nevada and South Carolina results are the highest he's seen of any kind so far. However, Nate Cohen at the New York Times, the upshot section says Steyer's numbers in those two states aren't illusory. He notes Fox News polls are of high quality and the sample is large enough that the result can't be dismissed as noise. The findings are not wholly without corroboration. Morning Consult's early state tracking shows Mr. Steyer at 10% combined across the four early states, end quote. Cohen explains, quote, the explanation for Mr. Steyer's surge is straightforward, uncontested dominance of the airwaves, end quote. The New York Times reports that Steyer spent $11.2 million in South Carolina on television, cable, and radio ads, 65% of all political advertising across the state's four largest media markets. He did the same in Nevada, spending $10.3 million, or 75% of all political advertising in that state. Philip Bump of the Washington Post has this pithy analysis, quote, Candidates who are good at the process have a better shot at being elected simply because the process is, however lamentably, an important part of a political campaign. And in the Democratic Party's 2020 presidential nominating contest, no candidate has been more adept at negotiating the party's process than businessman Tom Steyer, end quote. Fellow billionaire Mike Bloomberg isn't competing in these first four states, hence the availability of advertising space, because he's been spending big. Bloomberg's focus is on the potential for bigger delegate wins in later states that most candidates can't afford to spend much time in now, given the jockeying to get early wins that will let them move out of the pack of three or four at the top. These early wins also help with fundraising, something that doesn't occupy Mike Bloomberg or Tom Steyer at all. For all this, Steyer's run still feels about as quixotic as Bloomberg's, if not more so. With less name recognition and a set of moderately stated principles, it seems implausible that Steyer could effectively compete against the well-known and well-liked super-moderate Joe Biden. Bloomberg faces the same wall no matter how much money he spends. If you'd like to follow along with ad spending by campaigns, 538 offers a spending tracker at 
projects.538.com slash 2020 dash campaign dash ads. You will find this link in the show notes to Anon 538's homepage, of course. Okay, let's drill down in a tiny bit more detail about those Fox News polls. In Nevada, the news organization spoke with 635 likely Democratic caucus voters earlier this week. Joe Biden was the top nod with 23%. Bernie Sanders next with 17%. Steyer with his 12%, tied with Elizabeth Warren at that level of support. Pete Buttigieg scored 6%, Andrew Yang 4%, and then we descend into smaller numbers. The margin of error is plus or minus 2.5%. In South Carolina, 808 likely Democratic primary voters gave Biden a whopping 36% in a poll conducted earlier this week. That's been consistent from the previous two times Fox News polled these voters last fall and last summer. The drop-off is quick. Steyer got 15%, Sanders 14%, Warren 10%, and then Buttigieg at 4%. This one has a 3.5% margin of error. I want to double back for a moment on Steyer because regardless of his chances to win the nomination and his general moderation, he is using his bully pulpit to advocate for some particular progressive issues. Today, he introduced his immigration plan, which upends current policies and goes far beyond anything envisioned in the last couple of decades. Under George W. Bush, at one time a strong advocate of immigration and reform for broken policies, and under Barack Obama, who proposed change and implemented some of it, but had an overall mixed record. Steyer called for a new category of immigration for those fleeing climate change. While he said as president he would spend to help other countries cope with the effects of dramatic change, he'd also find a pathway for people to come here. Steyer said he would start in his administration by rolling back a number of Trump policies. He'd put DACA back in effect, an Obama executive order that allows people who enter the country as minors without proper documentation or authorization to remain indefinitely and legally work. This is typically parents who brought their minor children here. But he would also put into place a plan that allows parents of such children to remain, as well as parents of children who are permanent legal residents. He would cancel the Muslim ban, and he would end family separation at the U.S.-Mexico border. But Steyer went further, saying he would also end contracts with private prisons and detention centers, and he would decriminalize unauthorized border crossings. Right now, it's a misdemeanor to cross without proper processing. Entering and claiming asylum or claiming asylum at an authorized border crossing is legal and protected under federal and international law. While he advocates a strong border, he said his focus would be on eliminating human trafficking and the smuggling of goods, drugs, and weapons. Steyer said, quote, our immigration system has been plagued by racism and has reflected values dramatically different from those on which our country was founded. As president, I will begin the healing process from Trump's cruel and unjust approach. I will make it my duty to not only undo the policies that are systematically attacking immigrant communities of color, but create a system that allows immigrants of every background a chance to build a life in our country, end quote. Staking out a position this far in opposition to Trump, though not necessarily that dissimilar from Republican positions of the last 30 years prior to this administration, may make those ideas become a more viable part of the immigration discourse. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mack Weldon knows we all need a variety of garments to get through the day. Underwear, socks, shirts, and undershirts for this time of year, and hoodies and sweatpants and more on top of that. 
They make all these kinds of clothing using premium fabrics and smart design and make shopping for it easy. Mack Weldon's clothing stands up to whatever you can throw at it, but it's also comfortable. They like to say it's better than whatever you're wearing right now. They even engineered their own fabric for your comfort. Their lineup isn't meant for a particular purpose. You can wear Mack Weldon underwear, socks, and shirts, whether you're working, going to work, going on a date, or just going about your business. They are so confident about their products that you can order your first pair of underwear from them, and if you do not like that first pair, they will refund your money and let you keep it, no questions asked. Order $50 or more in merchandise and shipping is on them. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code ELECTION. Once again, that's MacWeldon.com promo code ELECTION to get 20% off your first order of great new clothing. Elizabeth Warren released one of her many plans for action last week, this time on federal changes that would significantly improve the lives of and independence of people with disabilities, particularly helping them move out of poverty. The New York Times reports that Warren spent months building the plan with input from about a dozen people with disabilities. About a quarter of adult Americans have a disability of some kind, and it's an audience of voters often overlooked or even mocked. Famously, or rather infamously, candidate Donald Trump performed a cruel reenactment during a rally of the way in which Serge F. Kovaleski presents himself. Kovaleski is a Washington Post reporter who has arthrogryposis, which limits how his joints work. That on-screen performance in August 2016 was something some people thought would tank his campaign. It did not. Democratic candidates have apparently put real time and effort into listening to the disabled community, and four now have comprehensive plans, with Klobuchar adding hers this week to Julian Castro and Pete Buttigieg's. Castro's plan was previously the most praised for its reach and understanding. David Perry, a writer and disability advocate, noted in recommending editors hire people with expertise, tweeted on January 7th, quote, you should be hiring writers from the disabled community to report on Warren's outreach, which is unprecedented, except for Castro, who now endorses her. It sets a new standard for a huge but marginalized population, end quote. The New York Times report quotes Jason Dorwart, a theater professor at Oberlin College who is quadriplegic, saying, It is the most comprehensive thing I have seen in my 20 years of looking at these things. The Times notes, quote, The plan is sprawling, touching on health care, education, employment, social security, technology, housing, incarceration, police brutality, and environmental justice, end quote. I confess I'm not educated enough in this area, and merely reading about what Warren and other candidates' plans cover was enlightening to understand what is not funded or is underfunded for people with disabilities. Warren's plan in particular wants to move people out of poverty, a common condition in America for those with disabilities, because of complex rules governing the amount of income and work one can do without losing benefits. While benefits are often insufficient to provide the income for a secure, basic standard of living, this includes eliminating a loophole to the minimum wage that allows employers to hire people with disabilities at a lower rate, sometimes for just cents on the hour. The catch-22s are endless. The Times notes, quote, Mr. Dorwart worked part-time over two months, but both paychecks arrived in one month, exceeding the income limit and costing him his Social Security disability insurance. That meant he had to pay out of pocket for the aide who enabled him to get out of bed and into his wheelchair, which in turn meant he had to take out more student loans and rely on GoFundMe campaigns to get by, end quote. Unfortunately, despite the Americans with Disabilities Act being a key initiative of the George H.W. Bush administration, providing stability and allowing greater productivity among people with disabilities has become a partisan issue. 
For instance, the Trump administration wants to revise rules that cover payments from Social Security to people with disabilities. These payments are currently made to 16 million people who are subject to routine reviews. The Philadelphia Inquirer noted in December, quote, merely getting benefits is an extraordinarily difficult task, often taking years and requiring applicants to compile reams of documents, then state and restate their cases in front of hearing officers, adjudicators, and judges. The administration wants to change rules and reviews in such a way that hundreds of thousands of people would be kicked off the rolls. As a result, even if a Democrat with a plan wins the presidential election, they will likely face opposition from implementing changes if one or both chambers remains in the hands of Republicans. Yesterday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she would transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate when she was ready. Now she's ready. In a letter to Democrats today, Pelosi wrote, I have asked Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler to be prepared to bring to the floor next week a resolution to appoint managers and transmit articles of impeachment to the Senate. I will be consulting with you at our Tuesday House Democratic Caucus meeting on how we proceed further. End quote. There's still some additional wrangling because the House has to vote on a resolution to approve those impeachment managers and transmit the articles. CNN said that the impeachment conceivably could start next week, but that if the GOP proceeds as expected, the president could be acquitted before February 4th, which is when he delivers his State of the Union address. Pelosi issued the formal invitation to deliver the speech in the House only days after the chamber voted for the articles of impeachment. There is now one fewer Democratic candidate in the nomination race. Marianne Williamson has officially dropped out. Last week, she had laid off her entire campaign staff, so this move was expected. She appeared in the first two DNC debates, but never achieved significant national polling support and has largely been ignored for the last few months. Williamson was always a long-shot candidate, but the best-selling author brought a set of ideas entirely different than the conventional politicians against whom she was running. She promoted a message of healing, supported paying Black Americans reparations for slavery, and challenged the language used to talk about the future. However, she was also largely and perhaps accurately painted as a New Age practitioner of generalized spirituality who lacks specific policy proposals. She also had to contend with statements made in some of her books about the efficacy of vaccines and other health issues. She often tried to contend that she supported mainstream preventative measures while using the language of anti-vaccination zealots and others. After political writer Molly Jongfast wrote a couple of articles critiquing Williamson, who Jongfast called, quote, the anti-science pro-love candidate, End quote. Williamson wrote her mother, Erica Jong, the author of Fear of Flying and an Ardent Feminist, to complain about her young daughter. Molly noted in an article, I am 41. Finally, a cautionary tale. The House and Senate will be fiercely contended over this fall. While it's not impossible, Democrats have a big lift to find a majority in the Senate or take it to 50-50 with a Democratic president and vice president allowing tie votes to break in their favor. The House seems more likely to remain in Dems' hands, but all House elections are local, and many 2018 elections were won on the basis of a few percentage points shift. That's why it's important to watch when President Trump drops his oar in a race and muddies the water. He often supports more polarizing Republican candidates in the primary season who then lose in the general because of their extremism when considered by the full pool of voters. The latest example is David Richter, a Republican candidate for the GOP nomination for the 2nd Congressional District House seat in New Jersey. Richter was the frontrunner when the Democratic incumbent Jeff Van Drew 
opted to switch parties because it seemed unlikely that Van Drew could find re-election as a Democrat based on voting against the articles of impeachment against Trump. Trump rewarded the switch by endorsing Van Drew for the race, which has put Richter out in the cold. The New York Times writes, quote, There have been no classes on this when Mr. Richter attended Harvard's Kennedy School. What to do when your presumed general election opponent, once denounced by Republicans for his socialist policies, is suddenly your party's hero, beaming alongside the president in an Oval Office chair typically reserved for visiting heads of state, end quote. The district broke Republican for 24 years before Van Drew's victory as a Democrat. But given Trump's endorsement, that could work both ways. Contending for the Democratic nomination for the seat in the wake of Van Drew's party defection are five candidates, including as of January 6th, a Kennedy. Amy Kennedy, who introduced herself in a campaign video as a former school teacher and a mother of five, is the wife of former House member Patrick Kennedy, who is the son of the late Senator Ted Kennedy. It's going to be a much-watched race for the popcorn consumption value as much as the importance of the seat. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. Chris Higgins will grace your external orifices on Monday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. And I'll be here Tuesday and Wednesday for debate prep and follow-up. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on the Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with the latest summary tomorrow. Have a good evening.